Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Have you heard? Christmas is in trouble this year. According to multiple news reports, a senior White House official has warned that there will be things at Christmas that people cannot get. To which they added, at the same time, a lot of these goods are hopefully substitutable by other things. I don't think there's any real reason to be panicked, but we all feel the frustration and there's a certain need for patience to help get through a relatively short period of time. And in ratcheting up the classic political hype, a governor said, we don't even know if the kids will get toys for Christmas. I'm glad, well, some of them are downstairs. Anyway, perhaps someone should have gone so far as to say, at least for this year, no, Virginia, there is not a Santa Claus. Yes, my brothers and sisters, Christmas appears to be in trouble. At least that is in the way that most Americans seem to have come to believe what Christmas is all about. Or perhaps I shouldn't put it that way. Indeed, the fact that we're talking about Christmas this early in the year and already hanging crepe about it in the news really highlights so much about what our society values and needs. As we often talk about here at the Advent, consumerism is a core problem in our society. Consumerism has become our idol. Despite all the talk about people finding themselves during the pandemic and leaving work to follow a personal passion or a new career, there are also already news reports about experts, how experts believe that these same people will in 12 to 18 months want their old jobs back. Some will, as the adage goes, realize that the grass really isn't greener on the other side. But as importantly, many of those people who wish they could leave their job or those who will have to come back will do so because they will realize that our society is built only for those who have gainful employment. Many couples can only survive if both members of the family work. Why is that? Because our society requires that people buy stuff for it to function properly. In fact, things I'm sure you've experienced like planned obsolescence, where a software upgrade makes you need a new phone or a computer because the upgrade breaks something, or cheap furniture that's clearly not meant to last even a day after you put it together, and certainly is not what one would call heirloom quality, or the printers that are so cheap that when you realize how much buying ink is for it, you just buy a new printer instead. And then all the ways we have to buy things over and over again different formats of the same book or music or songs or movies, the endless subscription-based service, services. According to one survey, 80% of U.S. households had at least one streaming service, and among those that did have one, the average number was five. Does one really need five paid streaming services to get enough TV to watch? I'm old enough to remember when it was anathema to have the Christmas stuff out in the stores before the day after Thanksgiving. But when you started to see it, but then you started to see it before Thanksgiving, and it continued to creep to just after Halloween. And in 2006, the National Retail Federation, an industry trade group, said that 40% of consumers plan to start their holiday shopping before Halloween. Over the last decade, 
There has been a growing trend for retailers to start selling holiday merchandise in mid to late September, according to Time Magazine. So is selling merchandise the reason for the season? Somewhat. But of course, in the church, we have plenty going on between now and when we get to Christmas. Really, Christmas seems like a long way off on the church calendar. The next major feast is All Saints. Halloween, that is, Al Hallows Eve, as I'm sure you've heard that term before. That's the eve of that principal feast. Hallows, being another word for saints, is also related to our word for holy. And in case you happen to be wondering, as I was while I was writing this sermon, no, it isn't related to our word for halo. But anyway, we also have an entire other season before Christmas. The season of Advent is the season that comes before Christmas. Instead of a season intended for mass consumption and parties, it's a penitential, reflective season that allows us to thoughtfully prepare for an important yearly encounter with our God, the incarnation, the enfleshment of God as a human being, as a little baby. This is a central and profound event. And of course, it is the real reason for the season. That event is the reason we will be celebrating Christmas for at least 12 days until the feast and season of Epiphany begin. Although the more general season of Christmas goes on longer, the decorations and nativity scenes remain until the octave of Epiphany eight days later. And some would even say that the season lasts all the way to Candlemas on February 2nd. Just as we fast for 40 days at Lent and feast for 50 days in the Easter season, we fast for four weeks in Advent and feast for many more. As we continue to approach these important events in the church, we here at the Advent will work hard to keep you properly focused on the now, of the special events in the life of the church that we shouldn't just let pass us by because the rest of the world is already rushing towards Christmas right now in order to make sure the business's books are all in the black by the end of the year. And to that point, I want to start getting us to look at and prepare for these upcoming events through the eyes of today's lectionary readings. First, let's look at the gospel where we hear of the raising of the son of the widow of Nain. Here Jesus arrives at the village during the burial ceremony. In the warm climate of Palestine, burials happen quickly, and it's likely her son had died just a few hours before. They are carrying him out of the city gates because the graveyards were outside the city walls. And Jesus is walking into town as these events transpire. He and his disciples have been walking for a while and are probably tired. Yet this event moves Jesus. I imagine in this event, he sees his own self hanging from the cross, dying in front of his mother's eyes. Mary's a widow. Joseph was an old man when she was entrusted to his care. And Joseph has died by the point of the cross. Jesus knows that his mother must be provided for. And thus he says to John, behold your mother. And to his mother Mary, he says with reference to John, behold your son. We could imagine that Jesus might be close to tears here. After all, we've seen him weep at the tomb of Lazarus and over Jerusalem. But if he is, the Bible does not say. Instead, when he sees this widow weeping, he says, do not weep. I can imagine this probably did not come across very well to her at first. Can you imagine the widow's situation? Not only had she lost her only son, but she's already lost her husband. And in Jesus's age, it wasn't just her husband and son who had died. 
she'd essentially just died herself, too. From a social perspective, she has no one responsible for caring for her, as women could not inherit land at that time, and she was dependent on her son to provide for her. Now she would need to rely on the charity of more distant relatives and neighbors who likely had other priorities. She had every reason to weep, and yet Jesus told her not to. I can only imagine that her heart sank for a moment, wondering what sort of ungrateful person was talking to her, wondering who could say something so heartless to her at that moment. How could she do anything but weep? She'd lost the loves of her life, and she was alone. And yet Jesus would return her joy just a few moments later. Everything would be made plain. When he walks over to the coffin and with the mere words, Young man, I say to thee, arise, her son is restored to life. Of course, the raising of this young man is a remarkable miracle in and of itself. It shows us Jesus' ability to bring life. And respect, with respect to the son, we see, though, just the bringing back of his physical body to life. And yes, that's remarkable. But of course, this young man, like the daughter of Jairus and Lazarus and those who were raised from the dead by the Old Testament prophets, they were all raised to a physical life that would later end again in physical death. But what Jesus came to earth for is not just to raise our physical bodies from death to life, but our spiritual ones. And in this miracle, Jesus does that too, because he has restored life to the widow whose love and livelihood had been taken away. And just as Christmas has become largely concerned with externalities, most especially making sure that there are plenty of gifts for us to buy and give, often expensive ones, what matters most is not whether that physical part of Christmas can be saved this year or any year, but can we save the more important part of Christmas? Can we save the part that transforms the inner person, the one that is permanently transformed by the incarnation of God as man, an incarnation that touches not just our physical bodies, but in Orthodox theology encompasses our minds, our hearts, our wills, our souls. Christ took all of that on himself when he became man so that he could save it all. But if we're raised only to physical health and neglect the rest, and we're missing out on the gifts that Jesus brings to us. We're missing out on our full salvation. We're missing out on our eternal life that begins right now. It is about this that St. Paul discusses in his epistle today. And as we've discussed the last few weeks, we have to transform our inner selves. Today, St. Paul makes this explicit in his prayer that the Father would grant us to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, in the inner person. Why? So that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, all the saints who we will be celebrating in that important feast in just a couple of short weeks, that we might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that we might be filled with all, all the fullness of God. The fullness of God to dwell in us, for us to comprehend it, but not in our minds only, for it surpasses knowledge. Not in our physical bodies only, 
but in our inner selves, for us to be transformed, theosis, into God by grace. If we hope to be in the kingdom in the future, if we hope to be in the kingdom now, we can't just somehow imagine that our physical bodies will be resurrected. Now we have to see that our entire selves will be resurrected. Our minds, our hearts, our souls will be renewed, transformed, and perfected just as Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, cares for both in, the, in our story today and throughout his time on earth and beyond. I hope that you will make St. Paul's prayer your prayer this week and over the coming weeks. I hope that it will give you a target to focus on and provide you peace with all the noise around you, the endless advertisements, the fear of not having stuff to give for Christmas, and all the other ways that the world wants, you to pull you, wants to pull you away from what really matters. Trust me, what really matters isn't building up just a bunch of stuff. It will never satisfy you, and there's nowhere you're going to be able to take it after this life. Instead, seek living water, the living water that Jesus gives. You'll, you will never thirst, and it will become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's his promise to us. So refocus your life on the church's time rather than the world's. Refocus your prayer lives. Don't worry about giving stuff that passes away. Instead, give those around you love, kindness, and aid. Bring them not from poverty to wealth in a physical way, but from being dead to being alive, not just on the outside, but on the inside. Share with them what the real Christmas is about that Jesus took on our life so that we could have his abundant life. The real Christmas doesn't need saving. Instead, the real Christmas does the saving. So let's spread the good news. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.